0: But today we're starting a series called Welcome to Babylon, and I'm guessing that's why a lot of people didn't show up today. <laughs> Not very good with titles, you know, as, as you can see. Like, my wife is great at titles. So this, this one I'm like, no, I got it. I got it. You know, Welcome to Babylon. And, uh, and so we'll see what happens. But over the next three weeks, you're going to uh, learn a lot uh, a lot of uh, I'm going to encourage you to read, um, you know, a lot of your Old Testament uh, this this next few weeks, and uh, especially you know uh, the Kings and Chronicles and uh, and Daniel and Esther and Nehemiah and, and those books because it'll give you a better understanding of what I'm trying to to, to convey to you today. And um, and and one of the things about uh, uh, Welcome to Babylon that that we're going to look at is that it's a friendly captivity. Um. I I love uh, big picture stuff because it helps me understand my life today. One of the things we say here is that the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. The New Testament is concealed in the Old Testament. So in other words, when you read the Old Testament, it's not a literal thing of like, oh, well, we should stone people when they sin, like. It's not like that. You know, a lot of the Old Testament is pictures and allegories and illustrations for our life today, and we need the New Testament to reveal what the Old Testament means, okay? And the New Testament uh, uh, was concealed in the Old Testament, so Jesus is in the Old Testament, grace is in the Old Testament, and so we need to read it correctly, because if we don't read the Old Testament with, with, uh, with the Holy Spirit, we will get a uh, a religious mindset and perspective of an angry God, and we will miss it, okay? And so it's really important that when we read the Old Testament that we know, okay, Lord, wh- what does this mean? Because I know it doesn't mean, you know, to, to do, you know. That literally thing, you know, to stone someone, or it doesn't literally mean, you know, that he is a false prophet and he should die. Like it doesn't mean. And so, what, what, what do these things mean? And uh, if you've been here long enough, you would, um, you know, that one of the big pictures that we talk about a lot is um, the children of Israel uh, being in Egypt as slaves for 400 years, then coming out, being in the wilderness for 40 years. And then going into the promised land, taking the promised land. And again, you know, if you've been here long enough, you would know what those things mean. And Egypt represents our old life before the Lord, which is when we were slaves to sin. Then when we get saved, we come out of the kingdom of darkness, out of the slavery to sin, and into the kingdom of light. And we're going to the promised land, but on the way to the promised land, some people stay in the wilderness a few days or a few years. But God's ultimate plan, because in Jeremiah 29, 11, it tells us that he is a good plan and a good future for us, right? That, that he knew us before we were uh, even created in our mother's womb in Jeremiah 1, right? And so he's telling us, like, there's we're going somewhere with this. You know, you're not meant for the desert, allegorically. not of you need to move, okay? Uh, we're not meant to stay in the wilderness uh, eating Manna from heaven and living miracle by miracle, but we're supposed to move into the promised land where is our destiny, our calling, our purpose, the plans of God for our life, where there's territory for us to occupy and to take. Are you with me? And so, you know, so these pictures is, is something that we refer back to a lot. And when we go into the promised land, you know, you, you heard me teach about this, you know, it's the promised land of our heart where God told them to drive out the inhabitants. It doesn't mean to kick out the foreigners, you know, from your neighborhood. It means our heart, right? If otherwise I'd be gone too, right? I'm actually a citizen if you didn't know that now, you know. Anyways, distraction. So, in the wilderness, I'm sorry, in the promised land, it represents our heart, and the Lord told them to drive out the inhabitants of the land. OK, because if he if they didn't drive the inhabitants of the land out of there, they were going to become thorns on their sides and on their eyes. So it's going to be very uncomfortable for them to do what they're supposed to do. Right. If, if you've, OK. All of a sudden, I, I got I want to get pulled into that teaching because I love it so much. You know, <laughs> it's just so good. And so we need to deal with our heart. You know, it's the promised land of our heart because out of the heart flow all the issues of life. And it's in the promised land, right, where we actually go into our calling. And it's our own heart that can keep us from taking all the territory that the Lord has planned for us. Okay? You know, whatever your territory is, right? We know the teaching of the seven mountains from Lance Wano and and, like, you know, different people are called for different mountains and different spheres of influence and all that stuff. You know, God is as assigned works for you to do according to your calling and, and through life, you know, you're discovering those things, but you must drive out the inhabitants of the land in order to, so that they're not thorns on your side and you're able to do and occupy the territory that God gave you. Okay. And so, you know, that's kind of what that means. And, and so for many years, I've been studying the next part and saying, Lord, okay, so what is this next part? And, and so I want to talk to you about the next part for a little bit. And, um, and this next part is, um, is the time of the judges, then the time of the kings, then the time of when the kingdom got divided, when the northern uh, part disappeared, and then when the uh, Babylonians came, took over, and the exile, okay? And all of that leads up all the way to when Jesus came, okay? And so what does that part mean for our lives today? And the Lord has a beautiful picture he wants to show us. And I believe it, uh, if this first part of Egypt, the wilderness, and the promised land has to do with our heart, I believe this next part has to do with our decisions and our calling for life and how to how to deal in this world. And so I want to uh, break this down as, as best as possible. And so I'm going to give you a little bit of history. But... Um, what led to this captivity? What led to them losing the territory that God gave them? Because if you remember, this is a big promise. This is a big deal. Like if you're reading through, you know, through the desert and the wilderness and, you know, and they are taken on the promise, like it's a big deal. There's a lot of things that happened. God gave them a lot of supernatural victories and things and they divided the territory and the tribes settled in different places and all this stuff and there was a united kingdom and then, and then they lose it all. What's up with that? And so, what led to that? What was the, the Babylonian uh, captivity? And why is the Babylonian captivity more dangerous than the Egyptian captivity? I used to think that attacks, you know, were the most dangerous when they were directly towards you, you know. Uh, you know, you could think of, you know, if somebody comes and attacks you like, you know, it's a one event. Like, it's, it's violent, it's aggressive, kind of like Egypt, Right? But I'm um, starting to realize that a more dangerous attack would be, would be one that you don't know you're under until it's too late. I know some of you are thinking of our country right now. Don't go there. <laughs> right? We're not having people attack us directly, but all of a sudden, boom, they're already, Well, okay, never mind. I tell you not to go there, then I go there. It's like, <laughs> but that's not what we're talking about. But, it, but, but it's more dangerous, you know, a, an attack from within than a, a direct a- attack from the outside. And so I'm like, Lord, I want to know now. I don't want to know when it's too late, when I'm too far gone. You know, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says that even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And the whole concept of this Babylonian captivity, you know, even from the sarcastic title, welcome. I did it on purpose, okay? Welcome to Babylon, right? It's a, it's a captivity. And, and it's the fact that it's a friendly one. Not a slave master whip you, almost kill you, you know, to work type of captivity like Egypt. But instead, it's one that is friendly, one that it's nice, one that wants to be your friend. And I think that's a lot scarier because it brings confusion and deception. It's not so much the um, do this or else. It's the thing that they get you hooked on that you don't even want to leave anymore. That sounds creepy, right? (laughs) I planned it that way. Matthew 24, 12 uh, uh, through 14, it says, Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold or will wax cold, but the one who endures till the end will be saved. Did you get that? You have to endure till the end to be saved. And I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm just saying it's not over. Oh, one saved, always saved. That's that's the story for another day. But you're supposed to endure through some stuff to the end. When is the end? When Jesus comes back or when you go home? Whichever comes first. And it says, And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world, so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. But, see, one of the things it says is going to happen, and, and these are clues to let us know where we're living at. You know, uh, interesting enough, we we're teaching in the, about end times on Wednesday nights right now. It's fascinating. Love it. You know, it's so good you know, to hear the, you know, what's going to happen in the end times and know what all those things mean. You know, they're doing such a great job, uh, uh, Dr. Nick and Kara. But, um, but where are we today? Where are we now? Because all of the prophecies for the second coming of Jesus have been fulfilled already. So in other words, there's nothing that needs to be fulfilled prophetically from the Bible for Jesus to come back. It could be now. It could be now. It could be now. Or now. You know what I'm saying? So I want to know what time I'm living because I want to endure till the end. And if this is a friendly captivity, which we're going to look more into it in the next coming weeks, then I want to make sure that I'm not being deceived into a friendly captivity, right? That I think I'm free, but I'm really not. Okay. Maybe I should have stuck to health. (laughs) But I couldn't do it, you know? I feel like such a hypocrite. I went on vacation the week after I taught on health. (laughs) I just got to come clean. I gained 10 pounds. But we're back to being good now, you know, because we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. I got back. I had physical therapy on Tuesday. I It's like I discovered a new torture technique. It's called the kettlebell. If you don't know what the kettlebell is, You're good. You don't need to know. You know? (laughs) That thing's, like, it makes every muscle of your body scream at you at the same time. And then it lasts for days. (laughs) I'm like, Lord, I'm sorry. (laughs) Anyways. It says, the sin will... Sin will be rampant everywhere. So it's talking about the end times. It says, and the love of many will wax cold. Now, if you ever stuck your finger into uh, liquid wax, you know, I think at least the men here have done it because, you know, (laughs) because we do stuff like that, right? And you go the first time and it's like, ah! But then you go the second time and it's like, hmm. And then the third time and then you keep going and it's like, it keeps building wax around your finger and you don't feel it anymore. Right? It's pretty cool. Well... It's pretty cool, but if you understand that, then you you would see that when it says here that the love for the Lord will wax cold for many because sin will be rampant. In other words, it's describing to us a slow process of being desensitized to evil and sin and darkness. Okay. How do you boil a frog? Right? You don't drop it into boiling water, you put it in the water at room temperature and then you turn up the heat slowly. That's that's pretty creepy, too, right? Very like have you done that? No, I've never done that. Okay? I only heard it from Nick cuz I think he did. <laughs> So how do we know if we're under attack? How do you know if you're deceived? How do you know if you're living a compromised life or if you're part of this world now? So John 15, 19 says, I'm going to read a couple of versions of this one. Uh, the NIV says, if you belong to this world, to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Okay. Um, you know, the Stickers that say not of this world, right? We're in this world, but not of this world. What, what, how, how are we not of this world? Well, you were born again, and when you were born again, you were translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And the Bible tells you that you're no longer a citizen of this world, but you're a citizen of heaven. where? Heaven. heaven. So, your citizenship is now in heaven. So, when you were born again, something supernatural happened and it it changed your citizenship, you know, from this world to heaven. So, therefore, you have now rights from heaven, promises from heaven, resources from heaven to do what you need to do here on this earth, which is to occupy, okay, until he comes back. So that we could bring heaven on earth. We now have authority. We're agents on earth from heaven to bring heaven on earth as it is. Jesus taught us this, right? He said, Our Father who are in heaven, hallowed be your name, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Part of our job, whatever sphere of influence you are in, whatever your calling in life is, is to bring heaven to earth. Okay. And so we're not of this world, but we're in this world. And so something changed. In other words, it can't be as it was before. Then uh, the Passion Translation, I love how it says, If you were to give your allegiance to the world, they would love you and welcome you as one of their own. But because you won't align yourself with the values of this world, they will hate you. I have chosen you and taken you out of the world to be mine. New Living Translation says, The world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it. But you're no longer a part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. I mean, those are some strong words. Because why? Because none of us like to be hated. I mean, we all want to be loved. We all want to be liked. Right? So this is a little harsh because you're like... You know, you'll feel conflicted. You're like, man, it's like, but I have a lot of friends and a lot of people and a lot of neighbors and a lot of people that don't know, don't know the Lord. And I don't want them to hate me. Well, listen, what it's talking about is talking about the conflicting values, okay, of the world and the kingdom of heaven. And, and it, it, it speaks of our allegiance. What's your, where's your allegiance to? The kingdom of heaven Or the world. This is when your values and your allegiance is to the kingdom of heaven. There might be some people that hate you because of the values that they have allegiance to. That's why sometimes, you know, we feel conflicted. And sometimes we rather stay quiet than stand up and declare who our allegiance is to and what our values are because we're afraid we might not be liked. We're afraid somebody will hate on us. And even worse, call us haters. And so the Lord is explaining to us, listen, you're not of this world anymore. You're in it to influence it. You know, a lot of people confuse uh, um, Jesus hanging out with sinners with being friends with the world. And uh, if you didn't hear Pastor Kara's message from um, two two or three weeks ago, you need to listen to that. Um, I can't remember the title of it, but it's the most recent one she taught. And it's still echoing in my head. It's like, Christ in you. The hope of glory. Christ in us, the hope of glory, when we are living that out, people will want to be around us. People will will be drawn to us. I'm talking about sinners will be drawn to us. People who are looking for more, people who are tired of the world, people, people who who are, are, are seeking for the Lord, you know, even if they don't know they're seeking for God. They're going to be attracted to us because why? Christ in us is hope and hope is the very thing that they lack. So if they're looking for hope and Christ in you, the hope of glory is just bursting out. People are going to be attracted to you even if they don't know it's Jesus they're looking for. And it's Jesus they're attracted in you because there is hope of glory. Are you with me? And so Christ in you, the hope of glory, okay, if Christ in you is the hope of glory, what do you think was Christ walking on the streets by himself? He's the hope of glory. So it's the same thing. People, sinners, were attracted to him because he was the hope of glory, even if they didn't know it. Not because Jesus was tolerating and affirming them and making them feel like their life was okay to stay in sin. If you think that then you haven't read the story of the woman at the well. Cuz she was right there with him. She didn't leave, she didn't blow him off. And he called her out. He called How can you call someone out like that and they stick around, they still want to hear what you have to say? It's because there has to be so much hope and so much love coming out of you that you know, like, okay, like, yeah, that's, yeah, I know. Five husbands and the one I'm with, I not even believe in marriage anymore. So, and she stood there and she received the message and then she became the first evangelist. Why? Because Jesus is the hope of glory. And so we've, Got this backwards sometimes when we think like we have to compromise and we have to tiptoe around speaking truth or making it clear which values our allegiance is to, which is the values of the word of God. Because Jesus hung out with sinners. Well, well Jesus hung out with sinners, so. Well, yeah, he hung out with sinners, but he he didn't hold back from from being who he was and preaching the message he was preaching like he 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 was not there to validate people's sin he received and loved them as they were but his only truth that would set people free so if you take truth out then there's no more hope for freedom right. and Jesus is the person of truth the way the truth and the life so we're actually doing people a disservice. Okay. If we feel like we have to cuddle them and, you know, well, I'm not going to say anything here because, you know, they're... And so, you know, don't want to make them feel uncomfortable. And so, listen, I'm not saying that we condemn people because Jesus didn't condemn people either. We need to learn how to walk in love, truly. Because it's the, the true love and the true hope that attract people and make people feel love And like there is hope for something else because people already know what's wrong with them. People already know their sin. They don't need to be reminded of it. But I hope you're getting what I'm saying. Man. Oh. Listen, Revelation 3:15 and 16 says, I know all the things you do, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you're like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I don't want to be spit out of Jesus' mouth. But but here's the interesting thing. A lot of times we think, well, hot is passionate, like Peter and Paul and preaching and ah, fire hell and brimstone from the corners, from the street corners. No. And cold is like nothing. No, well, I'm going to give you a new interpretation of that. Hot and cold are two are, are changing temperatures. In other words, if some if if the, if the water over here is really cold and I put lukewarm to it, the lukewarm water is going to turn colder. If I have boiling water over here and I have lukewarm water over here and I mix them, the lukewarm water is going to turn really hot. So in other words, hot and cold are transforming temperatures. Lukewarm is tofu. It'll Turn into anything. It'll adapt to either one. If the salt loses its saltiness, it's not good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled on. You see what I'm saying? If you're not transforming, you could be conforming. If you're not transforming, you can be conforming, right? We we use the thermostat and the thermometer uh, examples, right? A thermometer is just adapting and telling you the temperature of whatever it is. You know, that's lukewarm. A thermostat is changing the environment, bringing heaven to earth. Not conforming. And and I want to be very clear. We are not supposed to be condemning people for their sins. Or telling people what is wrong with them. Jesus didn't do this stuff, okay? He loved on people that were attracted to him and he loved them and he was a hope to them and he kept being who he was and speaking truth and all he was doing is just, you know, representing his allegiance and the values that he stood for. That's it. He didn't force anyone. He didn't make anyone feel like trash. He didn't make anybody feel less than. If anything, he reminded people, you know, what they're supposed to be like. He lifted people up. And so I'm not saying that you need to go tell the sinners what's wrong with them. That's not what I'm saying, okay? So don't misunderstand me. But a lot of times we go to the other ditch where we say nothing, we remain quiet, and we're like, yeah, I'm Christian Secret Service. <laughs> While well, you're blending real good. And you are not changing anything. You are not affecting anyone. Because you become lukewarm. yeah yeah yeah. You're like, three weeks of this? This is going to get so exciting. <laughs> no, I promise you, this is going to get so exciting. Okay, I still have a few minutes. Okay. Okay. If we get past the intro, all right. Transformation. <laughs> okay, so we need to understand these pictures that we're going to study on the Old Testament. Um I already talked to you about. Okay, so th- here's what happened. Okay, big picture. Um, in First Kings, uh, around chapter 12 through through the 16th, we we see what um, the division of the kingdom. Okay, so they have this this kingdom. King David, you know, good unified kingdom, man of war, a lot of blood on his hands. Then King Solomon, his son, he's the one that builds the temple. He builds the temple. Uh, he writes the Proverbs. Amazing, wise man. Um, But he didn't follow his own Proverbs. (laughs) Because at the end, uh, he appeared more like a pharaoh than a king. He had too many wives to count or to keep names or to buy anniversary gifts for, you know. And, uh, And he had concubines from different kingdoms. And because he... Made covenant with these concubines from different kingdoms, and you know, and he allowed them in their life. They turned his heart away from the Lord. <sighs> Women are powerful, <laughs> young, single people. Please choose wisely who you marry. Um, and they they turned his heart away from the Lord. He built, you know, uh, uh, idolatry and and it was real sad and so what happened after Solomon is that the the kingdom got divided and so you end up with uh, Jeroboam on the north and Rehoboam on the south and you have a split kingdom of Israel now and you have um, Samaria is the capital of the north kingdom and Jerusalem is the capital of the southern kingdom now northern kingdom out of 20 kings had 20 bad kings. All of them did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, which was what? Idolatry, perversion, you know. And and let me remind you something. The reason why all of this even happened in the first place is because they never ever really um, removed all the inhabitants of the land as the Lord told them to. They never really cleaned house. They never did that. So it became a thorn on their side, and later on Solomon just took it to the next level when he married, and he had all these wives from different kingdoms, and, and they polluted his heart, and it, it drove him away from the Lord. And so, you know, when you have the, the two kingdoms split, the southern kingdom, out of 20 uh, kings, eight of them were good. So it was like good king, bad king, bad king, good king. Bad king, bad king, good king, you know, and 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 you, if you read through that, you are like, oh wow, like he did what was good in the sight of the Lord. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did worse than the other one, and then he did good, and then he cleaned house, but then he did, and it's like it's this saga of like people making good choices and bad choices and going back to idolatry and and not. And another reason why all of this started, it's it's, it, I always go back to Romans twelve. To. Well, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, right? Um, and the Lord is about transformation. That's why, you know, it's part of our who we are. Like, we're building a place where people are transformed. You know, transformation, if you're not transforming, you could be conforming. I'm not saying that everyone who is not transforming their environment is, is compromised. I'm not saying that, okay? I'm not accusing you of anything. But I'm saying you could be, and it's a slow boiling process that you don't notice it's a waxing cold of little by little by little by little okay it's not an abrupt Egypt get to work you're my slave now it's not that it's a friendly captivity and so one of the reasons this this even began to happen is because um the Lord told them before they went into the promised land. He said, "I'm going to be your king, and you will be my you will be my people, and I'll be your king. I'll be your Lord." All right? And so they get into the land, and what do they see? They see all these other nations. They're supposed to kick out, not become like them, so that they don't become like them, right? And instead of kicking them out, they start looking at them. And they go, "Hey, all of these have kings. Why don't we have a king? We want a king. Why do we, we we want to be like them?" And so they. You know, it was never the will of the Lord for them to have a king. But they whined and whined and whined until they got what they wanted and they got a king. Okay? Needless to say, our hope is never in one person. Just saying. I know some of you are confused like, oh, come on, Pastor, which side are you on now? Come on. I hope it's never supposed to be on one person. He is our God, and we are his people. He is our father, we are his children. Um, so, the, the northern kingdom, zero good kings. Well, what happens is now Assyria comes in and uh, takes uh, the northern kingdom captive, okay? Okay? And they exile everyone from there. And the northern uh, northern Israel, Samaria, all of that disappears. Then the southern kingdom has 8 out of 20 good kings. And remember the promise of the Lord, uh, the promise of God to David is that the Messiah would come through his line. So the Lord is preserving, you know, Israel for that. He's preserving uh, Jerusalem for that promise. And so because... Because there was bad kings and all that stuff, you know, the the Lord's like keeping them and they're going back and forth. Good king, bad king, good king, bad king. But then they hit rock bottom. You know what they did? Manasseh. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, but they hit the point of no return and they started sacrificing children. He sacrificed his own kid and they instituted child sacrifices again. Ding, ding, ding. How do you know when a nation hits a point of no return Listen You don't have to believe exactly like me to come back next Sunday, okay? <laughs> to do family, to eat together, have coffee, you know, grow in the Lord together. I was going to tell you because some people are like, how can you decide who you're going to vote for on one issue? There was idolatry, there was perversion, there was all kinds of stuff. But when they hit that place, it was like, uh-uh, that, mm it, it's over. And, uh, so that's why it's a big deal. Um, and if you don't know what we're talking about, you know, child sacrifice is not happening in our day, yeah, it's called abortion. Yeah. It's called abortion. Um, and, uh. I better move on. But um, it's a big deal. It's a big deal to the Lord. It's a big deal. It should be a big deal to us. That's why, oh God. That's why we celebrated when uh, Roe versus Wade got overturned. We celebrated it. We, we cut cake in the cafe. We made a big deal about it. And that's why it's kind of a big telltale not only if somebody didn't celebrate or felt like, well, I don't want to celebrate because I might offend someone, but even on the opposite, when they're like, oh, this isn't right, this isn't fair, this is about women's right and all that stuff. It's like, what does that tell you? And I'm talking about Christians. That maybe their hearts have become wax cold and... They're a little stuck in this friendly captivity, and they can't see, you know, the difference between right and wrong, light and darkness. Are you with me? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. So, um, when that happens, you know, what's the next thing that happens is the Babylonian exile. So, it's like, all right, done, you know. And so, Nabuchadnezzar comes in, in Second uh, Kings chapter 24, and, um, and it's the exile of, um, of the children. And so where we're going to pick up from um, next week is, is from, from Daniel. So I encourage you to read Daniel. Daniel is an amazing, uh, great book. He's, he's like another Joseph. And we're going to start seeing how, you know, these pictures of Daniel and Esther and, and uh, Mordecai and, uh, and uh, Nehemiah and Ezra, we're going to start seeing pictures of how God wants to use us today in our life. So it's not so much pertaining to our heart like it was uh, Egypt, wilderness, and promised land. But this one is more pertaining to you know the direction of our life, the decisions we're making, the stands that we're supposed to take. How is the Lord going to you know, uh, be involved and back us up and show himself powerfully through our lives you know, in your sphere of influence? In your school, in your job, in your work, wherever you have influence, the Lord is going to show himself mightily when we learn how we're supposed to respond to a friendly captivity. Because the friendly captivity is, um, is dangerous. You don't know you're in it. And if I'm not transforming, I could be conforming. <clears throat> okay, so we talked about Israel and how Israel... Um, got to that point okay so now you know af- after Israel and this is just big picture stuff you know that we're going to build on the next few weeks but after Israel got exiled you know from Babylon then there was several other kingdoms that came and took over okay there was uh Babylon the Medo Persians the Greek and then the Romans which is when you know now Jesus was born in those times um, and so we're really taking you know Like the big picture of the Old Testament all the way up until the coming of Jesus. Um, The first coming of Jesus. And here's the other reason the Lord showed me uh, why it was important to study this right now. We are living in the end times. And history tends to repeat itself. And so if we look at what happened then that led to the first coming of Jesus. The Lord said, that's why you need to study Babylon. Because it leads to the coming of Jesus. And it's leading into the second coming of Jesus. And so Babylon and these uh, uh, kingdoms that came and take over are going to give us a really good picture of what we're living today. It's, it's all sounding all too familiar, right? You can't tell me it's not. It all sounds way too familiar. But then more things that are going to come and situations you might find in your life, um, it will give you clarity as to the stands that you need to take. And so James uh, four four. I think I'm going to finish with this. Okay, as our last scripture for today, James chapter four verse four says, "You adulterers!" <laughs> exclamation mark! <laughs> Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? And I was like, "Oh man!" Like, but God is love. You know, it's like, am I not supposed to have friends from the world? Like, I'm sure you've had this question yourself. It says, "I say it again. I want you to be a if I." If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. And then at the end of verse 9, it says, Come close to God, purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. So somewhere along the lines, we lost clarity of where our loyalty is supposed to be. And it's with God. It's with our Savior it's with the one that brought us from darkness into light. It's with him, and only with him is that our loyalty is supposed to be. And we, we stayed in this world. See, if, if you were in a spy movie doing undercover work, they would have pulled you out already. They'd have been like, no, he's, he's, <laughs> he's too far gone into his undercover, you know, pull him out. He forgot who he really was. Okay, I'm talking to only spy movie people. Right, you were playing a role in the world and you're like oh you lost your identity you forgot the whole point you were here was for a mission and that's what happens when we don't renew our mind and we start living in the, in, in, in the kingdom of heaven here on earth if we don't renew our mind we will not know exactly that we're not of this world And so we don't need to try to conform and fit in and please and like everyone. As you can tell, this is a little bit difficult thing to teach because you have both sides. You have Christians who are so rude that nobody would ever want to be a Christian. And you have some that they forgot what it was even like to be a Christian. Well, I think I'm going to heaven when I die. No, 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 hold on. You're here, but you're not of this world. You're here to bring heaven on earth. You're supposed to be salt and light. You're supposed to occupy. There's a plan for your life. This is your mission if you choose to accept it. And you forgot that you accepted it. Praise God. And so, you know, when it says friendship with the world, let me tell you, it's not talking about becoming enemies with the people in the world. Because why? Because God loves them. He loves them. He died for them. So it's not talking about like, oh, we're enemies with them and my neighbor's not a Christian so he's my enemy. No, it's not talking about that. It's talking about the world, the world system. The world's beliefs, the world's mindset, the world's ways. Are you with me? Not the people in the world. The world culture, humanism, the antichrist spirit. Are you with me? Okay? Go, aha, okay, aha, okay, got it, got it. Because, again, some people misinterpret this and they go out and they're like, enemies with everyone who's not a Christian. It's like, no, dude, no. You make us look bad, man.